0: With 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.
1: And now a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's
2: permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a brain where people to go, oh, ah,
0: Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever. Because this is just a ride.
2: You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Radio show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan, and I hope you are doing unbelievable. We are going to learn tonight about Project Stargate. And how it was being utilized to remote view certain locations in certain places in space. Let us begin tonight's show. Welcoming to the program is Dale E. Graf. He is a physicist and former director of Project Stargate. The government program that investigated remote viewing phenomena. He's appeared on every single major news outlet you can imagine he talks about some incredible things, and I'll tell you what—I'm so thankful he's appearing on a program. Can you can learn more about Dale by going to his website at daleegraph.com. Mr. Graph, welcome to the program.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you
1: for calling me. Thank you. So, I just want to ask you at the beginning of the program—I hope you have not been remotely viewing me because you probably would be horrified to see what was going on. I, 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 <laughs> no. Just, no one can make a sandwich worse than I do, so I hope you didn't see that.
2: No, yeah, well, if, if your office looks like my study, we're on equal ground.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
2: <clears throat> I'll have to pile.
1: <laughs> so, for those who are not aware, can you please tell our audience what Project Stargate was and if it's still existing?
2: Yes. Uh, Project Stargate actually is a a name that was coined toward the end of the the program, or the project, but it has a long beginning uh, with various bits and pieces. It started back in 1972-73 when some physicists were um, investigating the topic of psi, PSI, which is a scientific term for the paranormal phenomenon. And they had people come into the laboratory that could describe distant scenes uh, without any knowledge or or clues to what they might be. So the term remote viewing was coined around that time, simply to point out that some people can sit down, relax, envision a distant scene, and sketch it accurately. Uh, Sometimes it's something that's seen, sometimes it's something that's sort of sensed or felt. So that's kind of how it began. It's sort of a a variation of intuition, only a little more specific. Uh, It then evolved into finding more people, doing research that uh, attempted to uh, to define how the the phenomena worked. And also, uh, what can we do with it? To what extent can you actually use this? Um, Of course, it's well known over the centuries that that people that have these abilities can can do different things, you know, diagnose Diagnose illnesses, find people, that kind of thing. So ultimately, the program evolved from the research side, which was uh, performed in, on the West Coast in at the Mandel Park, California, with uh, Hal Putoff and Russ Targ, and involved uh, later within say uh, eight or nine years of that, where the government people, and I, I was in the government by the way all, all that time. Actually, uh, located people and uh, had them had them trained to do uh, the phenomena to do, to do the uh, the ability that we call remote viewing, and of course it was for finding not just people but but airplanes and, and uh, trying to describe scenes in the Soviet Union. So it became an intelligence tool, and it continued on then for another ten, fifteen, almost nineteen years before it was closed down in nineteen ninety five. I think was the uh, the, the formal closure, and now whether it exists today or not, this is well, almost twenty years now. So, uh, what's I don't the know.
1: foundation it's, of it? What is the? What are some of the reasons why one person can perceive a, a visualization? some place that they'd never been to before what are the, what are the, what's the laws behind this well you
2: know we, this was a puzzle and some people can come in and do that right off the off the bat you know without, without any particular training and we found over over the years that uh, even people that didn't have any inkling that they could do this Uh, Given the motivation and and given the right kind of atmosphere, you don't want to be in a place that's super critical because that's like in any learning game or even, say, in sports, uh, you can not perform your optimum if if there's a hostile crowd around. So we found that many people, even though they didn't have a prior experience, could do some level of um, what we call high-quality remote viewing. Uh, and it, it's, it's something that's there. We, we believe over the years, we've come to the conclusion, that most people have the latent ability to do something uh, of this nature. We may have called it something different years ago, like extended intuition or something like that. But we all can do this in varying degrees. Well, how do the people
1: typically work on the remote viewing, where there are certain types of individuals that were capable of doing it, were they in a certain setting? Were there individuals who were utilizing their brain? One of the things we've talked a lot about on our show, Mr. Graph is brainwave frequencies. We talked about how some person will go into a delta state where their brain will be oscillating very slow, so they can perceive information that is whatever their brainwaves oscillating on, like in a delta or a theta. So typically speaking, if you're looking at the people that were successful in remote viewing, were their brains oscillating at a certain level?
2: Yeah, we looked into that to some degree, not so much in in our program, but there were other uh, researchers that examined this. Um, An individual named Persinger in in Canada uh, did some research on this. And we found that with our people going into a relaxed state, uh, you, you can't be super agitated, excited, or, or, or too active. So that means you're in a different kind of um, brainwave you know, when just simply by relaxing. Although it didn't look like to achieve remote viewing results that we were getting, you had to be a very deep. I don't, I don't think there was any evidence that you had to be in the delta, but just a, a relaxed state and with the desire. And I think this is the key point. <clears throat> you have to set your, your, your intention. And intention comes up a lot in, in uh, this field and, and, and related topics having to do with uh, mind. You, you said, you, said you, you, you desire, your intention to be able to do it. And you can be relaxed or you it can, it can be experienced in a very deeply relaxed state as well. So I don't think that the brainwaves per se Where you are, other other than in in a moderately relaxed state, or or too critical for experiencing remote viewing, as as we did.
1: Yeah, I was just wondering there. There was a physical component to it, where your brain had to be at a certain place. You had to be a certain health. I mean, I'm wondering right now with a lot of the culture being, you know, addicted to cell phones. I'm somebody who checks my phone all the time. And being surrounded by all this infrared radiation, for the you know the Wi-Fi, I wonder if that is having a um, an, an effect on people's capability of tapping into, you know, the call the universal consciousness.
2: Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question, and uh, I'm <clears throat> having dialogue with a a colleague of mine that actually specializes in in the, the effects of uh, this kind of radiation on the brain and, and then to sell your structure and it's bound to have some influence. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is. It hasn't been looked at in enough in depth for the kind of thing we're talking about. In fact, there's a lot of debate It's just what is the degree of harm that such radiation poses in the first place. But I, I think the evidence is pointing pretty clear that there is an effect. You know, you have your cell phone plugged in your ear all at half a day is it's bound to do something. So yes, I think it's it's definitely going to affect the the mental structures, and, and it may not even be the neurons; it may be the, the material surrounding the cells, the gray matter, and all that stuff, which is affected in size or density or whatever. i have seen reports on that. So that that definitely would be a, an effect. The other part that it would be would have an influence is so wrapped up in what is coming in from external sources that are, I don't want to say artificial, they're not, they're real, but they're not totally natural. You know, we're drifting away from our intuitive state of mind when when we rely so much on these external aids. And I think that's one of the reasons why society is sort of um, only now rediscovering um, the, the, the the possibility of having these intuitive abilities. Uh, let, let's face it, they existed millenniums ago. You know, the, the birth of uh, civilization before. Uh, how do you think uh, primitives survived? You know, there, there was an intuitive psychic, even remote viewing uh, ability from the very beginning uh, that allowed them to avoid danger and anticipate the future. So we're just not kind of coming back to it. And I only, like you're pointing out, I, I, I kind of <clears throat> it'll feel a little uneasy then it was the way things are going with the use of technology that we're going to atrophate even more.
1: Yeah, I don't um, know how much worse it's going to get. Mr. Brett, I love this idea. Well, talking to people, you've had several people on a program that have had near-death experiences. And I'd say, I think that a healthy majority of them say that we're all one conscious being that we're actually, we actually actually return to one singularity or one consciousness. And then mm-hmm. we've had Dr. Stephen Greer in our program before, and he said that he's had a near-death experience. He's also, through his research, he's come to the realization that we are it's just one universal mind. There's one consciousness. So we mm-hmm. are all individual particles within the universal mind. That's why we can all perceive this. Yeah. Based on the scientific research that you've done... Is there evidence that supports this idea, and if so, what would some of that evidence be?
2: I think that um, not only from the research point, but from the experiential point, people that that actually experience or are trained or become proficient in remote viewing somehow will come to see, uh, grasp the concept. They accept the possibility that we there has to be some kind of g- connectivity. Uh, to a greater mind, because where is this information? It just resides somewhere in, in a, a greater mind. <clears throat> a remote viewer, for example, will be tapping into a tiny piece of it when he's doing a project, for example. But, but after after you work in the field for a long time, even a short time, we begin to accept that this is a mystery, uh, it, it seems mysterious. Yet it's, it's it's natural, so we, we we tend to gravitate to the idea of connectivity or, or entanglement. I think is the one of the scientific terms used, and uh, I think the the more that people study this and research it and, and demonstrate over and over and over, that the the ability is is natural and it varies in varying degrees. Uh, there has to be a connection to something that unifies that connects all minds so it's you may maybe can't prove it scientifically but it's sort of an inferred uh result you know i just wonder it's, why the
1: people can do it and when you have these people that have been doing the remote viewing i wonder if you've ever seen a different type of when i say different type of perception where have you gotten any evidence that The things that these people are perceiving through um, remote viewing are of a different consciousness. Which means that one person, we have five people perceive something within the physical universe. And then maybe you have some people that perceive things that are well beyond the physical universe. And maybe that gives you an indication that there are multiple beings that they're a part of. Like we just talked about this idea or addressed the idea that maybe we're all part of one universal mind. But is there yeah. anything out there that would kind of lead you to believe or infer that we are actually particles within a universal mind, and within the universal mind that is a universal mind within an infinite number of other universal minds?
2: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you know, again, you had mentioned the near death experiences that people have had that, that have accounts that sort of suggest that. Uh, and even even the deep meditators sometimes experience things, or in the dream state, for example, which is an area that I've been exploring more intensely. Oh, definitely and, want to go into that. Yes, it's
1: incredible. Yeah. Your article, by the way, Dale dot Dale e. com. Great it, articles on dreams and their psychic nature.
2: Yeah. So and uh, so, so, it, so in in the dream state, which is definitely a highly relaxed highly relaxed your sleeping yeah. so you, you can eliminate the um the logical interference that sometimes occurs in a conscious state when you're doing remote viewing or any other type of side work we sometimes have our thinking getting gets in the way of of the of the process and the phenomenon, and one of the one of the ground rules of, of uh, training remote viewing is uh, set aside your logical mind, you know, shift it, have have it do something else <laughs> while you're uh, op- opening or awaiting the um, the impressions. So um, so there's a little bit of work that you have to do to to shift this attention around to distract your conscious mind so that the uh, the impressions can come through and you can perceive them or sketch them um, but in the dream state that's already taken care of because you're asleep so in your conscious mind most of the time really is, is not a player and there are exceptions and that's when you get into lucid dreaming that's another issue <laughs> so in, in the dream state you really are getting closer to what I think is the basic perceptional reality uh, of course, a lot of it is memory and what's in your already stored somewhere in your in your brain mind. Um, the the problem with brain mind works is we, we're not sure exactly where all memory is or, or where the mind really is. And, and there's some thoughts now that uh, the mind is not all in the brain, and the brain is just simply the physical receptor for what we need to to get by day to day with so um in the in a dream state you can get into these perceptions of other kinds of realities uh particularly in lucid dreaming or or some of the, some of the more intense states that that come out of that uh there's definitely something there that's not of this this reality you know whether you want to call it a uh, alternative reality or a multi-dimensional space i'm not sure what what language would be good so what for it is that
1: write this really interesting quote you said our subconscious mind is open creating is open to creating meaning and chaos and dreams can give us a lot of good meaning and dreams can be the source of new ideas so when we're dreaming, I wonder what exactly are we experiencing are we experiencing a a a connectivity with the source uh, which is known as a, like a, a people who call it God, are we experiencing a different dimension? I mean, I wonder if, because reality seems very real to most people in the physical body, they say, okay, well, this is reality, you know, because I'm in the physical body. But uh, maybe is this a dream? Is this the dream? And our other states, when we think we're dreaming, I wonder if that's reality.
2: Yeah, yes. I know philosophers have wrestled with that one, too, you know. And so, so alive, and everybody else that's um, been seriously studying and experiencing dreams. So, there, there are dreams that are, are really quite uh, common and fairly easy to trace. And um, <clears throat> even so, some of the you know, early writings on the topic, in the, in Homer's Iliad, you know, the, the Greek classic, it talks about the the, the um, dreams that come through the gates of horn and the ones that come through the gates of ivory. And um, one of them is, is truthful. Uh, the other one is, is routine thinking kinds of stuff. And in the yoga tradition, in the dream yoga tradition, you have the, the, the ordinary dreams and the, the dreams of light. So there the are two general categories that, that have been acknowledged for the millennium. Um, a lot of people, when they first begin to record and remember dreams, will remember the more general, it's almost like daydreaming material. It's right out of the day residue, uh, we, we call it, for those of us that work in the in, in a dream study arenas. So once you get past the material that's already bubbling up there, the, the routine stuff, of the concerns you have for the day or, or indigestion maybe cause something, once uh, when, when, when you acknowledge that, yeah, that's part of us, it's there. And then, then you go deeper and say, "Well, what else is in the, in the dreaming uh, arena or the sphere that, that I might experience?" And that's when that's when you start running into the precognitive dreams. And yeah, you talked about
1: people yeah. who've had psychic dreams. I think it was Doctor. Louisa Ryan. She said she evaluated about ten thousand cases of spontaneous parapsychological yeah. or psychic given. And then over half of them occurred in dreams. So I mean, if yeah. you, have you ever come across people that you remember in any research that talk about events that have yet to happen in our reality? Is there any like you know major events that you're saying, OK, well, multiple people have dreamed that this is going to happen. This is, you know, not to say that it is going to happen, but a lot of people have been seeing that they've been dreaming about this.
2: <clears throat> yeah, well, I've been. That's really been the, the main focus of my independent work the past uh, several years, and I just recently gave a presentation to a, a, a scientific group where, uh, with a, with the results, some of mine and some from a colleague, showed that we were able to very accurately describe very specific pictures that would be published in a newspaper one week in advance. Um, and one of them actually in, included a, a very specific airplane crash uh, that occurred a week later in, in, in a lot of detail. So yeah, so and this is just a, a few of the hundreds of, of experiments like this that, that I've been personally involved in. And sometimes these perceptions of the future are more than just a week. You know, they can go on in months or even years.
1: Are there any ones that the the you people have seen that you see a war coming or, you know, man, humanity finally making a definitive connection with UFOs or extraterrestrials? I mean, I, I'm curious about that. I wonder if we're going to have a nuclear war or UFOs or we're going to have some kind of major innovation where humanity all of a sudden is not completely at war with itself. I mean, I, I guess I'm hopeful for the future about good things, but I'm also curious about some of the negative things because... I don't know, sometimes I think the people who are involved, who are at the top, I wouldn't necessarily call them kind-hearted and uh, stable-minded.
2: Yeah, there are a number of individuals that have uh, what you might call premonitions or hunches or thoughts that the future might have these kinds of destructive um, outcomes. Uh, Ironically, I've seen some of that in... Uh, some of the near-death experiencers, they, they, yeah, they they come back and re- return and become very psychic. You know, they're very intuitive after the experience. And in in addition to things that have to do with their own well-being and if things things that happen to them in in the near future, or or, or somebody they're going to meet in, in the next few months, and it happens. But they also come in with some of them do with. Uh, uh, very traumatic scenes of the future what are some of these things
1: that you've like a typical thing have you ever come across somebody who said that they, they, they first told the world was going to completely be, be completely destroyed by a nuclear war have they ever told you anything about uh, the climate of the earth getting changing when I say climate change I know some, a lot of people have a different perception of they'll say oh, it's global warming or something like that I mean looking at so, I mean I've watched a lot of specials about how sensitive the earth climate is so a couple of degrees in a climate could probably have a huge difference. I, I do think that humanity is having some sort of impact, is having a, an impact on the ecosystem or the in t- by its uh, behavior, uh, whether yeah. it's positive or negative. That it's having a, a impact. I do wonder if we are going to be accelerating towards an ice age or something. But are there anything specific that you think and remember people coming back with, and you were like, "Oh my god, I got to keep that one on."
2: on well. <clears throat> toward the, during the, the height of the Cold War and you know, this nuclear threat hanging over us, uh, there, there were a number of people came out from the near death experience and had uh, nuclear wars. You know, five, ten, fifteen years after they came after their experience. Of course, this did not happen. Uh, now, again, the, the problem. Just like I don't, you probably have studied the writings of Edgar Casey. Yes. Over the years, and you know he had i think he had uh, similar things happen he have these catastrophic situations like earthquakes on the west coast, and yeah well maybe the, the whole half of the state would slide off in the ocean but you know, maybe in geological time, one hundred thousand years from now, given, the, given what we know about the tectonic plates and all that, something along that line would might occur, maybe not catastrophically but but gradually so for long term um, prognosis or trying to look into the future, you guess it gets very nebulous are, are you perceiving a sudden event? Uh, or you're perceiving an event that might occur gradually over time, so, and and it's not as dramatic or as, as serious as as we might think. It's bad, but not not catastrophic. So you know, it, it's very difficult. I think to really to really put a handle on anything that goes beyond you know the, the short term when you're talking about geological things, or even the threat of uh, nuclear war. You know, things. What do
1: you think is? I mean, if you were to Pick which one do you think sounds or feels the most likely to happen? sort talking about world changing events to you.
2: I think more likely from from what I've seen. I mean, I'm not talking about anything of a personal thing because I haven't really really focused on anything beyond a few months. Uh, but but I, I know people that have, and uh, you know, I just put put everything sort of on hold because I would always like to know what what the person's the physical situation is at the time of the experience, because cause sometimes uh, individuals recovering from an injury um, would, would certainly have dreams, for example, that would be catastrophic, but they're more symbolic of the, the trauma that they just went through. So you have, you have to take those things into account. But I, I don't see anything of a you know significantly horror, horrific. Of war or anything like that. Um, my the concerns that I would have, with some hints of my own, but also looking at colleagues and, and people I know who have good track records, I, I would I would tend to think more in terms of the the climate. I think there's going to be some really serious things here, but um, whether it's all related to the, the carbon dioxide issue or, or something else, um, that's that I I see in the next. 20, 30 years, or, or so. it's been really, really a, a key issue. Um, something's something's dramatic coming our way, you know, yeah. in terms of climate shifts. So well, it's, there's, I,
1: we've had some people on a program, scientists and as well as people who are intuitive, and it's kind of strange that they're all hinting or saying that there's going to be a second. Uh, we're going to have another ice age. It's going to come. We're going to go through another mini ice age, and
2: Completely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, it's something dramatic. like that. There's also also the theories and maybe more than theories I I've seen some technical data that would tend to support this concept of a pole shift, you know, the, the magnetic the, from the magnetic fields shifting around, uh which not a physical shift but but enough Put enough uh, stress in, into the system, I would think, then in, into the Earth system, the Earth ecosystem, that there, w- there would be definitely uh, be, be difficult times that would result from that. You know, maybe a lot more earthquakes, for example. Now we have a lot now every year. You know, yeah. <laughs> okay. every, every, time,
0: every
1: time I trip or fall, there's an earthquake.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. You make a prediction, there's going to be an earthquake tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: there might be minor, minor trambles. You know, even even where I live, it's a relatively stable part of the East Coast. Uh, not not too far away. Just last week, there was a, just a really minor, um, trembling thing you know, in, in one of the uh, suburbs. But you know, it's they're not not as huge, but just a little bit over time. And then, you know, they may build up to something really huge. And I would think that I think it's called the Madrid Line, the one that runs along the Mississippi River Valley. Um, I don't know why it was called Madrid, uh, but anyway, it's that is a potential a difficult area from from an earthquake potential point of view. you don't often hear about people talking about that one. So I, I think these these issues will continue, uh, whether the major ones. But I'm, I, I still think I think the climate effects will, and it will, it will be a, really a, a big one. And I don't think that's any way to, to dodge that. Yeah. <clears throat> In
1: or, terms or, of wars, or, yeah, right on that uh, you know. planet, I think that it'd be, it'd be yeah. all it'd be every human's best interest on the planet to make the planet as good as possible.
2: Yeah that's, and you know the if we have this this mind consciousness connection with this uh one universal idea uh which I really subscribe to from from my work and uh, what I've studied and seen with others maybe um there's there's a way to um to work that angle you know through consciousness through focusing through um large groups of people uh, focused on uh, a, uh, an improved outcome, for example, of, of, of some uh, difficulty that might be coming our way. Well,
1: um, I want to take it to a hypothetical situation, because if we talk about this idea of a universal mind, and we explore this hypothetical case, okay, so it's one mind, and then we look at a person, There, some people say, well, okay, well, I'm left-minded and I'm right-minded left brain associated with the logical, right brain associated with intuitive. Some people kind of vary it either way. Some people have a healthy balance. If you were to say that the control or fascist uh, dictators that are going on, well, sorry, the the, um, the control people, people trying to control everything in our world, are on one side of the brain and they're dominating and they're trying to control the entire brain itself, which would be collective humanity. What would it take in order for that to shift, if we we're if we're talking about that in terms of a universal mind, what would need to occur in order for the uh, universal mind or the um, collective humanity to regain the balance where you have the the controllers, the fascists, maybe even marginalize? What would it take to shift everything? And can can people do activities that will allow them to have greater access to the universal mind, have greater access to the wisdom? And being uh, one with all things, in order to strengthen others, in order to marginalize those that wish to control and dominate the rest of us.
2: Yeah, I think I think um, as more and more people realize the the benefits of some of the um, meditation uh, concepts, procedures, study yoga. Um, some of the yoga techniques uh, really uh, bring one into a, a mind type of connection with universal mind, even though the terms might be different. Um, and with the idea that it's not just for an, me, an individual, but what what I'm tr- trying to achieve in this connectivity is um, some good, some benefit for the uh, for all of us, you know, for the uh, survivability of, of um, the planet They're not not just the uh, me or a local group if, we, if people can more people can move into that frame of, of um, thinking or belief and focus then i think there'll be a, a, a lot more of an alignment with the idea of a universal mind that that could uh, then affect uh or like you said, um dampen out some of the negative, yeah, so
1: so yeah if people say, okay, well, look, Dale, we want we wanna do this, please teach us the way, teach us the way of you know accessing the universal mind, becoming stronger. What do you recommend yeah. people do? Do they recommend they relax, do they shut their minds off? do they just uh, become nothing and meditate? What are some of the best ways for a person to strengthen their connection? With the universal mind to accelerate that download of information and the connection to oh, the universal mind.
2: Yeah, I, I, of course I don't know for sure, but I, I just think relaxing, well, going into some meditative or relaxed state, and just intending to to feel this connection, to to, to be connected to something greater than yourself, uh, will you know be a, a stepping stone in that direction. Will be a, a way to to enter in. Into this this flow, um, and I think you don't need, you don't need to have a near death experience to to have that. Um, many people that I've talked to over the years sometimes have meditative experiences that that are along the line of what we're we're talking about the feeling of the connectedness uh, and, and you know going beyond self. And I th- I think just desiring and to have that connection and focusing on well-being for um the, the planet I, I think we're at, at a stage where we have to think really globally the, the planet agree. not just a, a group yeah. Sure. So that, yeah so that's yeah so that's not the way i would approach it you know envision the earth as, as a living mm-hmm. organism and I, and I think there are some concepts along that line anyway that like Gia hypothesis years ago so connecting with, with that idea uh, uh and improving whatever the uh, uh, conditions would be um, from the, from the earth uh, earth interaction point of view uh, you know there and of course people are in it so you you just can't can't say it's only the earth it's it's the entire structure of the earth and what and its inhabitants so so, I think coming in from that large perspective, like global perspective, um, and I think there's some schools that do this now, and there was a study many years ago, what was that, the Maharishi group out in the Midwest somewhere, um, did a study, and a group focused on. Um, You know, the the effects of prayer and and eliminating or reducing crime in a certain area that was successful, you you may have come across that study. So,
1: pretty interesting that it has an impact. I want to come back to the remote viewing. Okay. Elaborate on a little bit more because it'll be a two part question. One of them is when people perceive things. Or they'll go to a place and they'll perceive a place in the universe that no other human has ever seen before. Is it? Is it? Isn't there going to be a conflict where they're they're not going to be able to perceive? They're just going to see colors, or they're not going to be able to see certain objects because they are unknown to collective humanity at this point. I wonder if there are things that your remote viewers have actually. Witness, but have not been able to describe because they're beyond scope of comprehension for collective humanity at this point. And then, I guess there's a, uh, a catch-22. There is how do new concepts get introduced to collective humanity that have never been known before, and when do you start to notice that you have the, hundred, the hundredth monkey, monkey effect, where now everyone else can start to perceive those objects or those beings or that reality that others couldn't previously.
2: Yeah, well, it's difficult to really be too definitive here, but um, the, uh, the the difficulty with perceiving things that are un, really unknown, uh, you'll never get any feedback. You'll never know for sure whether you were correct or not, and there's always going to be interpretation that comes in at some point. Um, you know, th- th- think w- w- a couple of centuries ago, if somebody had remote viewed, the uh, the first atomic bomb explosion, for example, you know, what language could they really use to say what happened, other than there was a big flash? You know, they they, they had the idea of energy, but no concept as to how the energy was uh, arrived at through the understanding of the atom and all that. So we we may have approximations to to what we perceive. Um, but we don't, don't fully, we can't explain it because we don't have the, the right language. We don't know what the atoms were, you know, for example. Um, so this would be true for looking into the future to new discoveries. You don't know the basis to it. You might see an effect of what it does. Um, so um, in terms of discoveries, it would be very very difficult. You might, you might see an act or an action, but don't know how it came about. Uh if you're going beyond that into some other dimension, it, it would really be uh, very difficult to yes. describe Speaking of dimensions, uh, I, at all. have you
1: ever had people that have come back and said, look, you know, I haven't been able to spot that place on the moon. However, I was able to tell you what hell it looks like, or I was able to go to heaven, or I was able to to, to go to a different place where we've, <clears> we've seen other human beings. There's a, there, Human beings exist on other planets. I'm just curious if that's ever... Like that. Got.
2: I've had, this, uh, I've known people who had some experiences like that, um, but again, what can you say about it? It's, it's, um, it's a possibility. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think it's possible to perceive information that nobody knows and may not know for centuries. Um, but what you can do with it is uncertain. Um, you may not understand it. You, you may approximate the essence of it, um but we still we still end up presenting it in terms that that we kind of understand. You know, but have you ever had reports
1: like that? Have you ever had anything I mean what have been some of the most unusual things that people have perceived based on the in the star in the Stargate program?
2: Well the um um the, the official work was only with the uh, what we could perceive On on this planet, you know, in a remote spot or in the future that related to fighting somebody. Uh, But it was all real time. I mean, it's it's based on Earth, Earth concepts. Now, some people in the remote viewing program on the side, unofficially, uh, apparently did have esoteric experiences but these these are not part of the official Stargate program so I can't really uh, comment too much on that because I wasn't familiar with how the information was cast or what, what the expectations were and all that stuff but there were people that did have what I recall experiences that could relate to the UFO or interpretation, and that's about as far as I can go with it. Uh, other-
1: any more? I mean, if, if can you elaborate at all, if we have had connections with beings that have come here, have we has, has humanity been in contact or had healthy relationships with other beings for a long time? That's just been kind of covered up for us.
2: I don't think there's been any cover up. Uh, of any kind there's never really been an official attempt to do this it's it's people that are have do this in their own initiative uh, so and, and even even not not even with people that have a remote viewing background uh, intuitives for example uh, many times will have these experiences spontaneously sometimes they occur in a dream state um, and you wonder what that encounter was about. You know, the, in a lucid dream, for example, it might be possible to. And I, I know this has occurred to a number of people where you encounter what appear to be aliens, and or that's how we would describe them, um, or they would describe them because what they don't have any language that like, is any any better. Um, so, there are those experiences happen in in the lucid dreams. Uh, whether they are sought, somebody wants to have the experience, or whether they're spontaneous, I'm not exactly sure. I would think they're mostly spontaneous; they just happen. Um, but again, we we don't really know all the background to it as to what the expectations were. Uh, when, in working with dreams, it's always a good idea—not always, but it is a good idea—to have a journal and keep track of uh, daily activities, and, and uh, what was what you were doing, what were the concerns of the day, uh, issues you came up with, because that, that could affect the dream content. So if you had, for example, if you had just got through reading a book on some kind of a, oh, I saw the movie E.T., for example, the, one of the early ones that came out, and then that night you had a lucid dream about encountering an E.T.-like figure, maybe not exactly, I would say that I was predicated mainly on on your memory of of the movie you just saw. It was not not a real data point for uh, saying, "Hey, I just just um, was visited by an ET." So th- that's the kind of thing that you have to, to consider when you read these accounts. Um, but even even if if you say that yes, there are those that can be traced back to something that was thought of or intended the the night before or the day before, there are still experiences left over that that I think are spontaneous that that are suggestive that perhaps um, other intelligences from other dimensions or planets are in fact uh, trying uh, to to get messages through and contact us. Uh, In fact, one of my theories is that as more people really become to understand their intuitive, psychic, remote viewing abilities, uh, it should be possible to to uh, to actually do. This I kind hope of so. Contact.
1: I would love to come in contact with a peaceful culture, or at least meet, meet some cool other people. Cause, I don't know. yeah,
2: so yeah, I would, do, I would, I would, I would like that. Awesome.
1: I, I want to explore the universe. I don't understand why everyone's so preoccupied with Earth. Yeah, Earth is wonderful. It's terrific. But there's so many other places we can explore. And yeah,
2: in fact, you know, I've often thought about that, but again, the point that you made earlier, how would, how would you really know, you know, because we have no way of really verifying it, yet if you have independent sources or in different places coming up with this, it kind of like it, it goes back to um, those experiments that we've done at the, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, uh, the uh, correspondence experiments where mediums that were working with the idea of contacting uh, uh, departed souls, minds, whatever, uh, came up with cross-correspondences of, of different mediums having pieces of the entire uh, dialogue that went on for years and somebody finally put it together and said, well, the only way this could happen is if they really were people on, on the other side that were trying to contact us, uh, the living. So it's just something of that nature, you know. You know a group of people uh, working over time uh, might might be able to come in with a coherent picture that would have some degree of reliability of um, what what it's like on another on another planet with other intelligences. And, and, and why wouldn't it be possible? You know, no. it would be. It would be naive of us to think that we're the only little people out there. I (laughs) agree, because if if
1: we're the only people out there, then I think the universe just settled for for mediocrity. It's got to do do better than us. You have to do better than us. When it comes to dreams, I don't know what this is, but I think that I prank myself in my own dreams. Because I've had these very vivid dreams where... I'm fully aware. Like You and I are talking, and these are the dreams that I have, where I'm fully awake. And I guess maybe there are two types where you have dreams where you're not aware of who you are, and you have dreams where you're completely aware of who you are. I generally yeah. have dreams where I'm driving or I'll do something, and I'll say, you know what, everything's fine. We can go over the bridge. Yeah. It's a dream. The laws of gravity do not apply. Of course, I go over the bridge, and I completely fall, and I'm falling in my dreams. And I'm always having these dreams where I tell myself, hey, it's a dream. Everything's going to be fine. And the exact opposite happens. And I feel that my dreams are a reality TV show or a comedy for some other life source. Because aside from me, everyone else thinks they're funny. They're terrifying for me. So Yeah, is there they any can reason? be,
2: yes. Those yeah. kinds of dreams, falling dreams, yeah. And, you know, a, I it's don't know. If you dream? frequently have what we call lucid dreams, because that sounds like that's the beginning of uh, lucidity. Uh, people that are proficient in lucid dreaming, and I've had lucid dreams. I, I just don't focus on, on um, a steady um, routine of them, although they do happen. But I have colleagues that are where you might go and specialize in them. And, um, you know, they have stories like that where initially, you know, you're falling, and you think you're going to crash, but you just have to say, well, I'm going to see where I'm going. You know, then you overcome the fear. Uh, and then you end up with a controlled lucidity stage you know, and then you can explore it and go here and there, you know, and, and see what's, see what uh, you can discover in, in this new degrees of freedom world that you're in. And, of course, it's more than just simply having fun. Um, I have colleagues that actually experience healing uh, energies when they're in this yeah. So, you know, one colleague had a serious injury um, in in or situation, and, uh by entering a lucid dream and then just physically you know, imagining healing, you know, whatever method worked for him, it may not work for everybody. But he just envisioned balls of light uh, surrounding the, the wounded or uh, cancerous area, and uh you know, the next couple of days, I went to the doctor, and there was no con- cancer there. So yeah, I started uh, having
1: dreams about, Yeah, you know, that would be awesome. He's, he has his intentions for your dreams.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I do work with lucid dreams, and I feel like this is one of the strongest applications that everybody can benefit. Uh, it's a self-healing kind of thing, and also for others. So you could become a uh, remote diagnostics person. Remote healer, and there are people that, that that have been demonstrated to have that that uh, ability to heal, or to have. When I say heal, I mean the illness or the situation uh, suddenly reverses course and and um, and disappears, or the person heals faster than normal. You know, I'm not talking about a totally spontaneous situation like you might find uh, in some of the religious literature, but more of a steady state. More than you would expect, gain in in the in the body function that led to a accelerated healing. So I, I've seen that that can that happen with people that that have experienced healers as well as those that, that can achieve a lucid dream state and accomplish something very similar for themselves or others. So well, other- in, in my own case, uh, I've actually um, entered lucid dreams. And uh, describe distant scenes or just hidden pictures. So it's a different way of doing remote viewing, you might say. But um, I got to follow so, you. Later. I want to
1: get. Some, I want to get some happy dreams. I mean, all my dreams where I'm like so. I'm pranking myself, for my own dreams, and I'm like <clears throat> thinking about something like This is kind of kind of productive." There's yeah. an article. If you read one article on Dale's site again, daleegraph.com, please read "Future Time: A Stretching Point." Dale, this was a mind trip. When you're talking oh. about The brink of the future and the past, yeah, uh, microscopic now. So, let's say that we are the universal mind, okay, and we are the mind, and then we have this illusion of time. You say that it's certainly time does not exist. We can photograph the past, yet we don't know about the future. So, if we are one universal mind, what is time, and why is how is the future predicted? Is I, I can't wrap my head around the idea that the universal consciousness is one. It is all things, all places, yet we're in a physical universe, and is time only prevalent in the physical universe, or is time irrelevant within the confines of the universal mindset, which apparently resides in infinite consciousness, which is outside the time continuum?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I just came from a conference, and uh, this is one of the topics that we got into. Um, it's, it's, um, I, I feel I personally have a dilemma on this, you know, there are those that will say oh, everything. Everything is now. You know, everything that, that has happened or will happen is is now. Time is an illusion in in that sense. Um, uh, but time and time is so that that events can be experienced. But uh, there have to be degrees of freedom in this somewhere, otherwise. We'd have a problem with with fate and free will, um, which is a a real concern that I have because some some of the exper- um, experiments I've done and in, in, in situations that I've read and, and, and know from colleagues, some the future does seem to have a very fixed element to it. Uh, but does that mean all futures are fixed? So somehow there has to be in the universal mind, in my way of thinking about it, um, a flow of something, a kind of flow between those that that are what you might call fixed and then those where there are degrees of freedom that we can navigate around uh, and avoid. Uh, Because in the the programs I run, I always make a, a case that we can perceive the future when we work on our pre-cognitive abilities. Uh, now what can you do with it? Uh, and uh, I know of instances where I have personally avoided uh, the perception of some uh, troubling situations. Uh, I avoided it, and so have some of my colleagues. So that was not fixed, uh, although we perceived it at the time as an event that would happen. So... I don't know how to answer clearly uh, where is the boundary between those futures that are going to happen no matter what and those futures that, that we can adjust and navigate and change. Um, I, I don't really think the future is locked in. I think there are multiple futures out there. And we just happen to choose a path, and leads to, to one of the possibilities, and that's the one that happens. It's like in quantum physics, you know, the the actual state of an electron is not known until you actually take that measurement. So there could be millions of paths or, or possibilities in quantum physics. So if quantum physics concepts have any, relations, any relative, relevance to the nature of time, um, which they might, they might not, but they might, then there are paths that are equally likely or like, or are as real as the one we're in now. Uh, and this is the one that, that we are observing, and this is the one that's happening. But tomorrow there are other paths, uh, you know, which is the one that is going to happen for sure, and which are the probable ones. You know, I, I wrestled with this. <laughs> I don't know how to answer it right now. But you see my point. It's it's I see it sort of as a state of chaos, a state of flux uh, in the future. Uh, but some will happen and, and others will not. And I don't know what governs the ones that will absolutely happen. Uh, hopefully
1: something good will happen. Mr. Dale E. Graff, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, your insight with us. Dale, again, it's like a physicist, former director of Project Stargate, a program that investigated remote viewing phenomena. He is also the author of several books. You can learn more about him by going to his website at dalegraph.com. Dale, thank you so much.
2: Okay, well, I enjoyed it. You got me to thinking again. I haven't thought about some of these things for a few days.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
2: Okay, everyone, that concludes today's
1: edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to our great guest, Dale E. Graff. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Stella. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.